I have learned something as a parent. Hopefully, you would believe that I have learned more than one thing as a parent so far. But I know for sure that I've learned at least one thing, and it's this. It's kind of a twofold thing. If you, if you tell your child to do a chore, they'll remember it for about five seconds. Does that sound familiar? Yeah? Go clean your room. Start, one thing gets picked up, and then something gets played with, and then 10 minutes later, oh, I forgot, you know. So if you tell your child to do a chore, it'll last about five seconds, and they'll forget. But if you make a promise to your child, though mountains be cast into the heart of the sea and the earth be consumed with fire, they will not forget what you have promised them. And I know this as a parent. Some days I come home and uh, have dinner, getting ready for bedtime, and my boys will say, Dad, can we wrestle? The favorite thing on the face of the planet for them. And I'm like, buddy, we got to go to bed. We can't wrestle right now. Like, in your PJs, like, you're in your bed. I'm tucking you in. We can't wrestle. So I'll say to them, tomorrow, when I get home from work, we can wrestle. And then, as I'm driving up the driveway, I can see their face in the, in the window. They're ready to go. They don't let me forget. It's impossible. Also, I have learned that if you promise your daughter, if you promise her that one day in the distant future that you will buy her a kitty when we have land, Let's just suffice it to say that in years to come, I'm going to have to pretend that a cat is an actual pet. That's right. You heard me. She has not let me forget about it. We are not to the point where we have bought a cat yet, but I guarantee you there will be some furry little rodent-like creature in my future. Our children expect us to come through on our promises, don't they? Don't they? That's what they expect from us. They don't let us forget about it. Though we easily forget what we might have promised them or what we promised one another, our spouses, our family members, our friends, we find in our passage today a wonderful reality, and it's this. God never, ever forgets a promise he has made. Ever. His word proves true over and over again in situation after situation. And that is the heart of our passage today. And so, when we come here to read the scriptures, I'm going to ask that we all stand together. Open your Bibles to Genesis 21, please, if you're not already there. And I'm going to read for us God's word, verses 1 through 21. Romans chapter 15, verse 4, reminds us that whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. That through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. And so we read this uh, toward that aim. Verse 1, chapter 21. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. 
Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Now Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. We've heard this story before. Let that sink in. Abraham was 100 years old when this promise came to pass. And so Sarah says, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Wow. Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. And so the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But, you always know something bad happens when you see the word but. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, Cast out this slave woman with her son, for the, slave of this sla or the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son, Isaac. And this thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, Be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah tells you, whatever she says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Verse 13, and I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. And so Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder, along with the child, and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. Now when the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him, a good way off, about a distance of a bowshot. For she said, let me not look on the death of the child. Now as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And so God was with the boy, and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow, he lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. This is God's word. You can be seated. The first point of this text is very simple, but definitely needs to be reinforced in our brains, and it's this. God is faithful to do just as he says. Right? We see here the birth of Isaac, finally. God is able to do just as he says. Finally, after years 
of waiting for this promised son to come. After decade, after decade, after decade of hoping for a child and never seeing that come to fruition, finally, at last, this day comes. I'm sure at times they wondered if God was able to make good on his promise. This short seven-verse passage comes, and with it comes an announcement that the fulfillment of Abraham's and Sarah's hopes and dreams has now come at last. They, Abraham and Sarah, have a son. Not they, Abraham and Hagar. They have a son, and God's promise, back in chapter 12, to bless the nations through Abraham's descendants has now begun. Everybody take a big, big sigh. Ah, finally, this day has come. A son has come to Abraham and Sarah at last. And I think the most significant detail of this passage is reinforced three different times in verses 1 and 2. Look with me there. The repetition of this one idea in verses 1 and 2, we see, as God had said, as he had promised, and then in verse 2, at the time which God had spoken to him. These three different statements all reinforce the same exact idea, that God fulfills his promises. He did all this just as he said he would. And in case you forget about the details and exactly the timing at which God said he would do it. God is faithful to do just as he says. Let's think about it again. Abraham was 100 years old. I know people lived a little bit longer back then, but either way, this might be similar to uh, an 80-year-old now. Abraham was 100 years old, but did that prevent God from keeping his promise? No, it did not. Sarah's womb had been barren longer than any of us have been alive. Think about that. After, I'm sure, in her younger years, year after year after year of hoping that maybe she would finally be able to bear a child and never seeing that come, never seeing that come. Decade after decade goes by. Could you imagine the pain and hurt in her? Does that stop God from keeping his word to her? No, it does not. Abraham, not always a wonderful example to us, he lied about his wife twice. We heard about that again last week. He put her in danger constantly, and even that didn't prevent God from keeping his word about his promise. Less than a year ago, because of Abraham's most recent lie, Sarah was taken into another man's house. Think for a moment. Could this have caused some serious questioning as to whose kid this actually was? It could have, but what does the text tell us? It says God prevented Abimelech from even touching her. And so, God protected his promise. He made good on what he said he would do. Do you get the idea here that God is a promise-keeping God? Is that coming through? The God of the Bible keeps his word always. In fact, it's a pretty ridiculous idea that we all often have to think that God is unable or unwilling to come through on the things that he has promised. Right? We're all tempted toward that at times. But this text reminds us that God keeps his word every single time, just as he says he would do. It is, if, it is as if, in a very real way, God is whispering to Abraham and Sarah now and teaching them a simple lesson. Of course, rejoice in your child. Yes, that's a wonderful thing to do. But guess what, you two? 
Now you finally know the God you worship. He is a promise-keeping God, and when he says something, he will accomplish it. Amen? And so in verse 4, after this wonderful news, it says, Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, just as God had commanded him. And then he names this boy Isaac. And Isaac means what? Laughter, right? He names his son Laughter Boy because this story is quite funny. Did I tell you that Abraham is 100 years old and Sarah is how old? 90 years old. This does not happen, okay? This does not happen. I could just imagine one day you know, Isaac is young and he's playing with some of his friends, maybe in a nearby village, and his parents go with him. And I can imagine some of his new friends saying, oh, I didn't know it was grandparents' day. You brought them along. Oh, hi, what's your name? And then I could just picture Isaac saying, <laughs> that's mom and dad. Elderly people being able to bear a child, this is clearly the work of God, isn't it? His son means laughter. This story doesn't stop getting funny, okay? Abraham humbly, obediently names him this, circumcises him, and then Sarah gets to join in this laughter. And just imagine the weight of what she says. She gets to enter into the laughter, the absurdity, the delight, the outrageous reality of this story. And she says, God has made laughter over me. This story is going to get retold a lot. And people are going to lose their minds every time I tell them that this is my son. This is unbelievable. She says that everyone who hears will laugh over me. This is one of those jokes that does not get old. She says, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah, that me, this barren old woman, never able to conceive a child, who in the, their right mind would have said that I would one day bear him a son? Who would believe that I would nurse children, yet I have borne him a son in his old age? How unbelievably humbled she must have been. Could you imagine this? We're going to continue with the rest of the story in a moment, but I think that it's fitting and necessary for us to reflect together on the nature of God's faithfulness in the story. The question for us all to answer in our minds is this. What promises has God given to you in the scriptures that you often find outrageous to believe? In fact, maybe there are questions that you think are too good to be true. Perhaps some of his promises seem impossible for me to believe right now. Maybe for another person that might apply, but I don't know if that holds true for me. I find great comfort in the words of a father in one of Jesus' uh, healing stories. In Mark chapter 9, there is a father, and he has a son who is tormented by a demon. And this son is often being cast into fire because Satan is, comes to destroy people, right? He's cast into water. The life of this boy is in constant jeopardy, and this father has seen it year after year after year. And he desperately comes to Jesus, and he says, if you can do anything about this, have compassion on us and help us. 
And Jesus' response is really striking. He says three words initially. He says, if you can. Right? If I can do anything about this. It's almost as if this man doesn't fully understand who this Jesus is. Who this God is. He says, of course I can. But the real question is this. Do you believe? And the father replies with one of my favorite prayers. And he says, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. I believe. I know you can. My head knows it. But my heart is slow to catch up. So what promises do you know are true about your God from the scriptures that haven't made that long 16-inch journey from our head down to our heart? What one is it for you? Perhaps you wonder if it's God's mercy to you. Perhaps you wonder sometimes if only... If God knows everything I've done, I'm sure he couldn't let that slide under the rug. Perhaps for you, it's God's presence with you. Maybe you feel terribly alone in this world and feel like you have no one. And the fact that God is an ever-present help in time of trouble seems like a great idea, but you're not feeling it. Perhaps it's the idea that God will keep you and he will strengthen you through this trial that you're currently in. Maybe it feels like there's no way out and you're just stuck. Maybe for you it's God's provision in your life that he'll take care of you and give you all that you need because you constantly find yourself lacking and needing. Recently, God has done a lot of work in my heart through some life situations to remind me that he is better than I ever thought he was. Has he done that for you guys ever? I'm sure if we went person by person in this room, we could be here for days recounting the story of God's provision in our own lives, the way he's taken care of us, the way he's looked after us. And it would encourage and bolster our faith, wouldn't it? God provides every single thing we need for life and godliness in any circumstance and in any situation. And we need to remember that promise and believe. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. In chapter 18, God says to Sarah when he makes this promise to her, he says, is anything too hard for the Lord? And I think that same question rings true for us, right? Is anything too hard for God? Is what he said something he can't back back up? Our God is what? He is faithful to do just as he says. He will do as he promises in his word. I'm going to say that sentence one more time. God will do as he promises in his word. I said it that way intentionally because I didn't say that God will do whatever you think or you feel like he has told you he will do. And that has to be a distinction we make because God absolutely can guide and direct us in our lives. And he does that, amen? Absolutely. But the promises that are in his word, not what we feel is going to happen, are the ones that we bank our hope on, amen? That is what we bank our hope Because if we attribute something that we want in the category of God told me, you see how confusing that can start to get to us? But but God told me that this person was the one or that I would get this job or this. And maybe God didn't tell you. Maybe that's just something you desperately wanted. And then what happens when we find ourselves in a situation where that doesn't happen? We think what? God has failed. I knew it was too good to be true. When all along, God hasn't actually told you that. So we need to be very careful with our way we understand God's will. God is faithful to do just as he says 
he will do for us. These promises, guess what? They're sufficient. That means they're enough for us. We don't need extra things. He has given us everything we need, as I said, for life and godliness, and we must trust that he is working these things out. God, as we see in this passage, he keeps specific promises to Abraham and to Sarah, despite their doubts and despite various opposition. And now we just get to bask in what a wonderful story this is, and there's no turn in the story whatsoever, is there? Nope. The story turns. Point number two is this. God keeps his promises perfectly through imperfect people. Very imperfect people. In some ways, Abraham and Sarah are examples for our faith, correct? And in some ways, they are examples for us to avoid, correct? All right. The second point of the sermon is verses 8 through 13. This is the weaning party, a a party celebration for their child that finally came. This child is now old enough that he's not fully dependent on his mother any longer. He's growing up. Think of a toddler, maybe two or three years old. He is growing, growing in independence, and all the relatives are there, and all they want is to rejoice and have a great party, right? Most of them. Sarah's there, and look at what she observes. Sarah sees the son of Hagar, the Egyptian. Sarah doesn't even name that boy, Ishmael, does she? She sees the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, and she sees him laughing. Some translations give us a lot of help, and they tell us laughing with mockery is the idea behind that word. Other translations might say playing and make it seem to be kind of a frivolous thing that was done. But our question is, what kind of laughter was this, and why did it make Sarah so unbelievably upset? She becomes irate at this, whatever it was, so angry, in fact, that she demands that Abraham cast that woman and her son out of here. I don't want a thing to do with them in my life. Because he laughed? Isn't Isaac's name laughter? Like, what's the big deal? You should have expected this. You even said it yourself. So what was this laughter? I don't have time to go into it like I wanted to. I planned to, and then I realized that it was a whole extra sermon in and of itself. Read Galatians 4 later today before your Sunday afternoon nap, okay? Read Galatians 4, verses 21 through 31, okay? Paul, writing in his day to the church in Galatia, He is trying to explain something to them, and he gives us some fuller detail as to what this laughing was. As you know, he's guided by the Holy Spirit to write the book of Galatians, and so I wish I could go into it, but that's the last time I'm going to say it. I just can't. But here's a summary. Paul tells us that Ishmael, the son of the slave woman, Hagar, that he was persecuting the son of the promise, that he was persecuting Isaac. So this is a laughter of of mockery. He's making fun of this kid. In Paul's day, his situation was this. The Jewish Christians in his church, the Jewish Christians, people who were once Jews but now put their faith in Jesus as Messiah, they were persecuting the Gentile Christians, saying, yes, 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 faith in Jesus, that's huge, that's very important, but you know what else you need to do? You need to keep the entire law because that's what good Christians do. The Jewish Christians do that. So you guys should do that too. So you should keep the whole law, make sure to keep the food ordinances, make sure to be circumcised just as Abraham, you know, did with his son. 
list after list after list of things to do. This is called the Jesus plus gospel. Faith in Jesus plus something else. And this is not a gospel. It's not the good news. So that's what was happening in his day. But this passage in Galatians teaches us one clear thing and reminds us that the blessing, the inheritance, the good things to follow have always come through the promise of God, not the flesh. I'll say that again. The promises of God are what matter, not the flesh. It doesn't matter that you say you are Jewish and you are somehow better. It's if you believe the promises of God. That's what's significant. Now, think with me on the story, right? Remember how Ishmael's birth came about? Chapter 16, this is because of Sarah's unbelief. She says, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children, so I've got a great idea. Hey, Abraham, uh, that slave woman that we got, Hagar, from Egypt when we were in there and you lied about me, that whole thing, how about you have a child with her and we will accomplish God's ends through my own means? Question, does that ever turn out well for us? I mean, honestly, forcing our own will, our own way of doing something rather than just trusting God and allowing him to work that out? This is how Hagar gets pregnant in the first place. This is how the son of the flesh, Ishmael, was born. Sarah demonstrates her humanness here, doesn't she? We can all relate with her because she's a, a sinner like us and she has unbelief. She demonstrates her impatience, her impatience, her lack of trust in what God was doing. Thinking that God can't or won't come through on what he has said unless I step in and help him out is what brought about this friction in the first place, this tension between Sarah and Hagar. And so eventually in that story, Sarah casts her out because Hagar was flaunting the fact that she could get pregnant and Sarah couldn't. So Sarah casts her away in angerness, bitterness, and jealousy. And so I ask, what is happening here in chapter 21? You guys ever look at the back of a shampoo bottle and it says, lather, rinse, repeat? Lather, rinse, repeat? When do I stop? Okay, the story keeps repeating itself, doesn't it? That's what's happening here. Uh, we read on in verse 9 and notice all of the similarities here. Sarah sees Ishmael who was around 14 to 16 years old at this time. He's not a young, young boy because he was born when I think Abraham was 89 Okay, so he is an older child and he is laughing at Isaac, whose name means laughter, as I reminded you. And we don't know exactly what was said or what was so funny, but uh, kids can be cruel, can't they? You ever talk to a 14, no offense guys, I'm sure you guys would never do this, right? A 14 through 16 year old, you guys would never say something cruel, would you? Cricket? Cricket, I'm just kidding with you guys. We don't know exactly what was said, but either way, you can let your mind imagine, right? This little fat baby is going to be the heir. I'm older. The older child is supposed to get the heir anyway. I know that you had the child through Hagar, and not, but that doesn't matter to me. Like, Mom, are you kidding me? This little kid? Look at him. He can't even walk straight. Like, what? Are you kidding me? Whatever was said, I know one thing for sure. It awakens Mama Bear. Have you guys ever met Mama Bear? Ladies, have you ever been Mama Bear? When someone says something about your kid? Now my wife, Callie, hello love, 
She is one of the sweetest people I have ever met. But, I told you the word but means something bad is coming, right? (laughs) But, if you say something to her about her kids, or if her bear-like sense of smell catches wind from a mile away that you have said something about her kids, this is what you awaken from slumber. There she is. That is what a mama bear looks like, okay? We get the idea, ladies? You been there before? Can you identify? I'm getting some head nods. That's good. This is what happens in Sarah instantly. She observes what's happening with her son, and she goes, mm-mm. And she steps up, and she speaks into this whole scenario, and her words are not uh, well-crafted or polite. She says, cast her out. Her and her son, get them away from here, Abraham. I don't care that that's your son. I don't care any of this. They will never, ever share your inheritance with my boy, with my son, not over my dead body. There is such a great example, right? Wonderful. She says these words in her anger and her jealousy and her bitterness. And in verse 11, we see the heart of Abraham Verse 11 says, and this thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of what? His son. Abraham is crushed. Why? Because of his son. Yes, his son was being immature. He was being a tool, okay? That's obvious. This was not one of Ishmael's better moments. But now Abraham stands here in between a rock and a hard place. On one hand, he wants to please his wife. And on the other hand, His wife says, do what to my actual son? That's your demand, is to cast out my son? What would he do in that situation? I don't want us to think for a moment that just because Ishmael wasn't the son of the promise and was the son of the flesh, that that all of a sudden meant that God and Abraham and everybody else just writes him off and casts him out and there's no, no good in who he is whatsoever. Abraham was distraught at this. Because why? He loved his boy. This is his teenage son that he has known as his only son for the vast majority of the last 16 years. And now his wife is demanding that he cast him away? What is he supposed to do? This is where the story comes back to the same main idea. The idea that every word of God proves true. Verse 12 tells us that God intervenes and gives direction to Abraham on what he should do here. And listen to what he says. He meets Abraham in this difficult decision, and he tells Abraham what to do. He says, listen to your wife. Does that strike any of you as odd? It, It does to me. Listen to your wife. Not because, Abraham, the job of a husband is to be passive and to cater to whatever your wife wants when she is emotionally charged. No, not because of that, but because God knows exactly what he's doing when he says, cast her out. There are promises that God has made to Hagar and to Ishmael that he is going to fulfill using very imperfect people like us. God knows exactly what he's up to. And so he says, do as she tells you. And it's not because of the saying, happy wife means what? 
happy life. I actually only think that's true if she's happy in Christ. Because if she's happy in something else, you're going to have a pretty miserable life trying to keep up with demands of your spouse, both ways. If you're happy in Christ, then happy wife, happy life makes sense. But if you're tiptoeing around your spouse, husbands or wives, you're tiptoeing around trying not to upset anybody, uh, I have to do what they want, otherwise they're going to blow up. That sounds like a pretty terrible marriage, doesn't it? God says very clearly, through Isaac shall your offspring be named, and he also knows what he is going to do in the lives of Hagar and Ishmael. God uses this situation. He uses all of the jealousy, all of the anger, all of the bitterness, all of the grief, and he uses those things to accomplish every single detail of his purpose. Not just that Isaac will be blessed, but also God's promise to bless Ishmael, which was back in chapter 17. The same promise is reiterated here in verse 13. Read this with me. God says, and I will, God is speaking, he says, I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also. Why, Abraham? Because he's your offspring. And because I promised it. Does God ever bail on a promise? Let's say it out loud. Does God ever bail on a promise? Okay, I was getting worried for a second. Did I say the wrong thing? The lesson for us is this. I mean, this is clearly not the ideal way for humans to talk to one another or to care for one another, right? Get out! I don't think that's our takeaway here. In spite of our sins, though, despite all of our failures, all of our weaknesses, all of our moments that we wish never happened, you know, our worst moments, Despite all of those things, God can and does still use the mess you've made of your life. Amen? That's honestly the story of the gospel. Nobody is too far lost that God can't save them. And nobody's life is so messed up that God can't redeem it and make it beautiful again. You aren't counted out by God because of your past failures or even your present ones. Or the sins that another person might have done to you. God is... Sovereign. Do we know what that word means? God is completely in control of all that comes about. He is. There is not a single thing in this universe that has ever taken him by surprise. Nor will there ever be something that catches him off guard. So that means what we're going through right now, whatever the hundreds of people in this room are going through right now, this isn't unexpected and this didn't slip past God, you know, on its way through the door. He was blocking it, but no, it made its way through. God knows what he's doing in your life. He knows. Do you guys remember the story of Joseph? I'm sure many of you guys heard. He had this, uh, it's later on in Genesis, if we ever get there. Um, he <laughs> we're taking our sweet time, okay? There's good stuff to mine here. He has this wonderful code. He has these uh, amazing dreams of all of his brothers bowing down before him, and he tells his brothers that. And he is cast into a well and eventually drawn out and then sold into slavery, right? His brothers had very ill intentions. They hated their little annoying brother, okay? But God takes that situation and later on ends up using Joseph in Egypt to save the entire country of Egypt and also all of his father's family. All of that he saves through 
Joseph's difficulties. And then Joseph says this classic line in the scriptures. He says, what you meant for evil, saying it to his brothers, guess what? God meant it for good. What you intended to harm me and to destroy me, God protected me. And you know what? He turned out even good for you out of this. That is an amazing reality. So since God's word proves true, we should have full confidence that all of those who love God, for all of you, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. That's Romans 8.28. That means very simply that God couldn't be better to you than he has been today or last year or the prior. He has been perfectly good to all of us throughout every valley and every mountaintop in our lives. And now we come to the final part of the story, the third part. This is where Hagar and Ishmael get to learn the same lesson about God fulfilling his promise that Abraham has just gotten to learn. Verses 15 and 16 say this, When the water in the skin was gone, remember how Abraham gave them some water, some provision on their way? When the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Mind you, this is 14, 15, 16-year-old kid. He's exhausted, he's famished, he's dehydrated. Then Hagar went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot. And why did she do this? For she said, let me not look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. She cries. This is not, if you remember, the first time that Hagar has wept in desperation, is it? You guys remember the story? Back in chapter 16, when Sarah casted her out because she was bragging about the fact she could get pregnant, she was far away and God met her there. In chapter 16, it says the Lord listened to her affliction and then he blessed the son in her womb. Do you think that blessing is going to get undone in this story? Absolutely not. God blessed the child and told Hagar to name him Ishmael. And the name Ishmael means God hears. God heard her cry, met her where she was, and he showed himself faithful to her again and again. He heard her anguish 16 years ago. He made a promise with her, and now she is weeping. She lifts up her voice, and guess who she finds yet again? She finds the ever-compassionate God of the Bible, doesn't she? It says God heard the voice of the boy, which reminds us that the God who sees is still the God who sees, and the God who hears is still the God who hears. That's this point. God's promises, even the specific ones, come true. They prove themselves true. God still hears her. God still sees her, even though she's been casted off because of her son making fun of the promised child. You see how God can use all things for his good and for, for our good and for his glory? That's what he is doing here in the story. God sees he hasn't left her far off and he has in fact been more near to her than she could have ever realized he would be. And so this angel of God, who likely was the pre-incarnate Christ because he speaks as the authority of God, you'll see here, he asks a question and doesn't even give her time to answer. He says, what troubles you, Hagar? Fear not. Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up. 
Lift up the head of the boy or hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him a great nation. Just like God promised he would do. God says he will do it. He will do as promised. Don't despair, Hagar, because of your circumstances. I'm here with you as I promised I would be, and I will do as I said. God's promises are true. Now, what I find most interesting in this particular passage is how grief and doubt and our tears can blind us to God's presence and his provision. There is a well nearby, full of water, that Hagar is apparently unable to see. Do you see this? I love this. Verse 19, it says, "Um, Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. Surprise! God knew all along that he was going to take care of her. He provides, opens her eyes to see the reality that is already there and provides her. She went and she filled a skin of water and she gave the boy a drink and he starts to get better. God was with the boy. God takes care of his kids. Whatever you're going through, no matter what, I can't pretend to know in a room this size what, what everybody is dealing with. The fact remains that God hears all who call upon him in truth. Amen? He does not delay. He hasn't gone on vacation. He's not on spring break. He sees you. He hears you. Though Ishmael is not even the son of the promise, God still demonstrates his unbelievable kindness and love to him in his time of need. We might expect God to write him off, right? Because he's not the son of the promise. But you know what God does instead? He shows Hagar and Ishmael who he really is. He is the God of unending, patient, faithful kindness. Always. So just like Hagar, allow the Lord to open your eyes to the truth of his promises and his word. The water is already there. She just couldn't see it. In the same way, God's promises for us, everybody, they're right here. What we need to do is open our eyes and have the Holy Spirit open the eyes of our hearts to be able to understand the promises that are true within his word. They're already there. We need to just look and see. These are written here for our help, for our encouragement, and for our enjoyment. Let us set aside our doubts, our unbelief, and recognize this and cry out to the God who hears us and will keep every single promise in his word that he has ever given to us. This is the God of the Bible, isn't it? This is who we're here to worship today, this very same God. What an amazing reality that is. And so we come to the Lord's table. We're going to celebrate the Lord's table in communion right now. We come here and um, what we come here to do is remember God and his fulfilled promises. We don't come here just because it's a Christian tradition to do this, though it is, and Jesus commanded us to. We come here because all of the promises of God find their yes in Christ. 